This is the X and Y podcast. My name is Justin and I live in Japan. This is part two of rebound mistake. When I say rebound, I think it's pretty well known that a lot of people after the breakup of a long-term relationship, they often get involved in a short relationship often referred to as a rebound or a rebound relationship. Now, I'm not here to talk about the uh, definitions particularly of a rebound relationship but uh, or, or indeed the psychology behind it. But in a nutshell, I think a rebound relationship is really just getting things out of your system more than anything. Um, and they tend to be quite short. Uh, I think we, I, I certainly had more than one rebound relationship uh, um, in my time. And I've also been on the uh, receiving end of a rebound, of a rebounding woman who uh, was bouncing back from the, the grief of and sorrow of recovering from a long-term relationship. Uh, I think we we do it. We we break up with somebody, and then we sometimes we we hurt people when we are in a rebound relationship. I don't think we necessarily want to do that, but I think sometimes we do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do in a sort of a weird. It's a there's there's definitely some psychology behind this, where perhaps we've been hurt, and then we go ahead and hurt somebody else in a short-term relationship and then we move on and start playing around and enjoying life or maybe we get into another long-term relationship, uh, God forbid. But uh, this particular woman I'm talking about was, in a sense, she was not really a rebound in the true sense that that's what I was hoping to do. I wasn't looking for any rebound at that point because at the time I was going through the breakup it was it's it wasn't finalized there was no closure on it um I was still married and I was just starting all the legal dealings the legal wranglings of trying to get access to my child and of course um I was also I think I've mentioned this before I was fighting a protection order at the same time which was applicable to my wife, my son and her mother. Why on earth they thought I would want to go near her mother? I have no idea. Um, I, I would quite happily, I've always tried to avoid her mother, quite happy to do that. But anyway, that was the protection order. It applied to three people. Of course, the most painful one, and it is very painful, is when a protection order is applied to your child, and um, when when you've done nothing wrong, when an innocent man who has nothing but love and care for his child, uh, and indeed my wife. I mean, I loved I loved my wife. I cared for her. Uh, yet uh, they they put on a protection order. Anyway, I digress. So back to the rebound issue. I think that, as I said before, this woman had really, she'd uh, wormed her way into my life, taking advantage of me in, at a particularly 
uh, low point and vulnerable point emotionally. Now I know that, but you know, talking about being emotionally vulnerable doesn't sound like a very masculine thing. But uh, the fact is, we do become emotionally vulnerable at certain times, especially when it comes to our children. So I was in great distress, um, and this woman was very hypergamous, as most women are. And she was, as I said, she was, I think she was 37. Uh, she was, had never been married. She was childless. She had the baby rabies and she was looking for a guy to, you know, in her, really, she's over the hill at 37. She realises that her time is short. Her biological clock is ticking and she desperately wants a guy to cohabit, get married, have a child, start a family, live happily ever after. She chose me. Uh, look up sniper theory regarding women and relationships and gender dynamics. She chose me. And she found it an ease, me an easy target at that particular time. So listen to part one if you haven't heard it already, because part one is important in order for you to understand this part, which is part two. So I'll pick up now from where I left off in part two. I made the decision that I had to get rid of her. So we we fell out and um, I told her she could no longer sleep in my bed. We were hardly talking and she slept in the spare room, which was my plan for her originally anyway. And then I, uh, the second time she misplaced my key, um, I, I actually found it. I think I found it outside or in the door. I think she'd like, she's one of those people, she's quite scatty. I think she had left it in the door. She'd opened the, the front door and left the key in it on the outside and with the, with the door unlocked. So that, that pissed me off. I mean, luckily Japan is a really safe place and it's very unlikely anything would happen, but it isn't impossible. And it's just a stupid thing to do. So, the, uh, the next thing I did was um, I checked, I found the key and what I did was on the second time she misplaced the key, I didn't give it back to her. I didn't even tell her I'd found it. I did find it and I kept it and I said, and I said to her, well, you know, obviously I wasn't happy about it and I expressed my, um, I, I was, by the way, I wasn't emotional. I wasn't like getting all, um, hysterical or angry I just you know was very stern but um, polite as I could be and I said well you've lost the key that's it we'll have to get another one cut and I said to her well, actually I want you to move out I forget how I worded it but I made it clear that I wanted her to move out she said she couldn't she didn't have enough money she wanted me to she said she was going to look for somewhere so we weren't at that point there wasn't any like real um we were, I, I certainly wasn't getting emotional about it. She wasn't getting emotional about it. She was upset, but she wasn't even crying. Um, I think she cried a little bit, but um, she agreed um, that she was going to move out and she said she was looking for somewhere to move to. Now, I had, um, when she moved in, she had moved, I didn't go with her to 
the place where she had been living with the boyfriend that uh, listened to the details about him in the in part one but uh, I didn't say uh, I didn't go with her there she loaded her car up a few times and she brought her stuff over to my place it was a fair drive I would say uh, I'm trying to remember how far it was probably about 20 kilometers or something um, which doesn't sound far but it is in Japan uh, especially in a little tiny compact economy car for a woman bringing her well all her worldly possessions which weren't a lot actually um, and uh, enough though <laughs> enough um, so they were all in the spare room in my flat and uh, when I told her she had to move out she did finally find somewhere which was great she said she'd found somewhere and um, I was waiting for her to move out and I said she said to me she was going to move out on a cert, on a particular date and she uh, I didn't give her the key uh, what I did was um, I decided not to give her another key because she'd misplaced it twice so what I did was I helped when, when it was time to move out um, I didn't even want her coming into my home anymore so when she turned up on her own, um, what I did was I put her stuff, I took her stuff to the front door and handed it to her. So all the stuff that she left, um, I just carried it to the front door. Because in Japan, you have to take your shoes off. It's quite strict about that. And I'm, I'm like that, even though I'm not Japanese, I'm strict about it. She had to, we take our shoes off at the front door and we walk into the house with no shoes on. So rather than keep taking your shoes on and off, it's also easier if somebody hands you the stuff at the front door. So that's what I did. So she loaded up her car. I think she, she did it in two runs. There, are, uh, there were just a few items left that she needed to collect. Now, I'm not sure if she deliberately left those items so she could keep in touch, keep in contact, and have an excuse to come back and see me. I suspect that she deliberately wanted to keep some items to mark her territory in the hope that we could patch things up, whatever. Look out for that, by the way, because women do that. I've, I've had that happen before. Women like to leave something in your home. That is a sign of them marking their territory so that if you do take another woman back there, they, it's gonna fuck things up for you. So anyway, um, she then uh, wasn't quite out my life, but she had moved out. So then I was starting to enjoy having a few women over and um, those few items that she that woman had left didn't make any difference because I was having women on short flings and one night stands. So it made no difference that I had somebody else's stuff in there. I didn't give a damn and they wouldn't have seen it anyway because they were in a spare room and um, these women were polite enough not to go into the spare room. So... Fast forward a little bit, and one day um, I was in. Uh, so this, this, so then she keep she kept trying to contact me, and I didn't want her to contact me, and uh, she was saying things like she loved me and she really loved me and she wanted to uh, see me, and I just refused to see her, and um, she was bothering me too much. She was contacting me too much, so one day I was in a noodle. Uh, restaurant noodle bar not far from my office 
and um, I was um, with three other people. We had a table together, four of us. Uh, two of those people were a married couple from New Zealand, uh, younger than me. Uh, they were in their maybe mid to late 20s. And um, I won't go into details about them at this point. And the wife of the New Zealand couple, they were both New Zealanders, white, white New Zealanders. Both of them, uh, are, the wife could speak Japanese fluently. Um, the husband could not speak Japanese, um, almost nothing. And um, there was another guy there. He was Australian. He was a gay Australian guy who was also fluent in Japanese. Now, the New Zealand woman and the Australian guy uh, could speak better Japanese than me, by the way. And uh, the four of us had been drinking. We were enjoying a Saturday night and we um, had finished drinking and we were in a noodle bar, uh, which is quite a common thing to do in Japan after drinking to sort of soak up the alcohol and deal with that. It was quite late, it was about midnight or something. And uh, this, this, uh, so this Japanese rebound woman kept phoning me and I didn't want to talk to her. I didn't want her ruining my, my, my time. So I also was eating and I had a mouthful of food. I saw my phone ringing again. So I handed the phone to this Australian guy because he speaks fluent Japanese and they actually all knew her. Not very well, not as well as I did, but they had all met her. They were acquainted with her. And they knew I'd been in a relation, a fling with her, a short relationship with her. And they now knew that it was over. So I gave, um, I gave the phone, I handed it over to this Aussie guy. And I said, can you talk to her? I just don't want to talk to her, I'm eating. So he spoke to her in Japanese. And uh, it's very noisy in this noodle bar. They're very, the Japanese noodle bars are, re are really noisy. Ramen shops, you might want to call them. You might know them as ramen shops. And um, he, he went and told her where we were, which is really annoying. Because I didn't want her to know where we were. I didn't want her turning up and bothering me. <clears throat> so he gave the phone back to me. He'd ended the call. And maybe about, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes later, uh, uh, we, as I said, we're all sitting at a table. I was sitting where the aisle through the, the restaurant was. About 10 or 15 minutes later, um, I didn't see it coming, but suddenly somebody was punching me in the side of the head. And it was her. She turned up at this place and she was... She, she had this look on her face that she was totally, insanely angry and deranged. And she was punching me in the side of the head. And um, she managed to get maybe three punches in short succession. And she punched me right on the ear hole. So it was actually, um, even though I wouldn't say she, was a, she wasn't a particularly strong person, but when you're not expecting it and somebody suddenly punches you, three times quite hard on the ear it actually hurts and I had ringing in my ears for a, in my one ear for a few days and um, I uh, 
my hearing in my in my left ear it was my left ear has although it's not bad has actually been damaged very slightly so my left ear now cannot hear as my I've got excellent hearing in my right ear very good hearing for my age much better than most people my age and I can hear very high pitch frequencies that most people can't hear my age and um but not in my left ear. My left ear has been very, very slightly uh, injured from that punching. So, of course, when you get hit by somebody, your reaction, bearing in mind I was drunk, um, your reaction is to, um, first of all, stop them hitting you. So I sort of uh, obviously moved and I went and I grabbed hold of her hand with my left hand, which is on the side she was hitting me and just grabbed hold of it and I was able to stop her with, obviously I'm, I'm stronger than her, I, I grabbed her hand, stopped her hitting me and then the other people, the, the, uh, the people I was with, the, um, the New Zealand couple um, took her away and took her outside. Everybody in the ramen shop, the, the, the noodles, the bar, obviously staring, looking at me. They didn't laugh actually, they didn't say anything. I frankly f felt like I wanted to fucking punch the bitch. And, I sh and it's my right to defend myself. Every person has a right to self-defence. And I should have been able to have punched her bloody hard and knocked her out. However, um, we're conditioned not to hit women. And we know, even in my slightly... I wasn't totally drunk, but slightly drunk. Even in that state... I knew that if I had hit her, especially being a foreign man in Japan, if I'd hit a Japanese woman, I'd have been in big trouble regardless of the circumstances. There is absolutely no way uh, I could have. And not only that, if I had hit her, there would have been people, blokes, who would have come to her rescue despite her hitting me first. And one of the blokes that probably would have come to her rescue was the uh, Kiwi bloke who was there. Because he was a big white knight thug. And he went outside with his wife. And she you could hear her wailing. She had a particularly loud penetrating voice. It was really unbelievably loud. That was one of the things I didn't like about her, by the way. Was her really loud voice. She seemed incapable of speaking quietly. And um, she was squatting outside on the street. With, and there were three of them were squatting there. Wailing about... I'd, and I couldn't hear clearly what she was saying because she was crying and, and hysterical, wailing and wailing about me. And the, the Kiwi wife was talking to her in Japanese because she can. But the Kiwi guy, he couldn't understand anything because he can't speak Japanese. So he, this is a typical white knight thug. He just construed from that, or misconstrued, I should say, from that wailing woman that I was a bad guy that had done her wrong and she was an innocent victim, despite openly punching me in the side of the head in front of everybody. I was the bad guy. Now, interestingly, his wife, the Kiwi woman, did not take that stance I don't know what the conversation they had privately, but clearly, as a woman, she probably knew 
not to believe crocodile tears. Well, I don't even know if they were cro- they, they may have been genuine tears, but clearly that you can't take on face value what a crying woman says about a guy when she's been rejected by that guy. And, uh, you know, I didn't do anything horrible to her. I let her down slowly. I talked it over with her and I helped her move out. Her, I, I, you know, I was helping her move her stuff to the front door to move out. I, we just didn't get along and it was a mistake and I should not have ever allowed her into my life. Uh, but I did. And um, all I remember is that the, uh, when I went out there, finally, we finished our food. And, um, when I, and I, talked, I was talking to the Australian guy. I said he's a gay guy, but he, he knows these situations. And he said to me, he knows what it's like. He said to me, um, he said, he knows that women can get away with anything. And if, a guy, if, if people see a guy, he said back in Australia, if, if a guy... Um, he's raising his voice to a woman in the street, Australian blokes will come to her rescue and blame the guy, regardless of not, even if they don't know what's going on. Now, I, I know there are plenty of guys in Australia now who have red-pilled, who are wise to that nonsense and don't do that anymore. I know that. Uh, but the fact is, and it isn't only Australia, it's basically, you know, the whole Western world is gynocentric and it's the same in most white countries that if you raise your voice to a woman, most you'll get these white knight thugs coming to her rescue, uh, regardless of the uh, true the, the the facts behind the story. Uh, that's what it's like. Uh, women can say and act with impunity, and they'll be protected. The white knight thugs will come along, and. Uh, the guy, the guy who is the target of or the perceived um, perpetrator of perceived crimes or just all kinds of nasty deeds that are imagined or or not, uh, he is he's guilty uh, regardless. You know he doesn't have a chance to prove his innocence. He's just presumed guilty, and. Um, that's the, the in Japan. That's the law. If you're a, if you're a man in Japan that has been, especially a foreign man, if you've been accused of something by a Japanese woman, you are guilty. Even if you can prove your innocence, you're still guilty. And you think that's you. If if you think I'm making that up, you check it out online. You find people that have been through the legal system here, and I'm telling you now that you are guilty. So then I thought. You know, this is bullshit. I need to go to the police. Um, I don't want to. I'd rather punch her and get it over and done with, but I'm not allowed to. So I thought, we have to play their game. So I thought, I'll just go to the police and report the assault. And I said, I was talking to the Australian guy. I forget his name. I think it's Ro- I'm going to call him Robert. I think his name was Robert. And I said to him, look, I, uh, I said, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of women thinking that, you know, women getting away with... And it's a particularly bad time for me because I'm being dragged through the legal system by my wife at that time. And um, I'm going through hell and um, I'd had enough. I just couldn't bloody take it. And I wasn't allowed to punish this this woman for punching me. So I thought I'm going to the police to report it. Anyway, Robert decided to talk me out of it. Um, he, he talked me out of it. And um, at the time... 
and um, I forget what reason he gave. And he isn't a white knight. He said he he knew he he said to me, I mean, and also being a gay guy. He he's let gay men are generally not such uh, white knight thugs, are they? Um, they don't have that sort of interest, and uh, a lot of gay guys are wise to such women's behaviour and see through it. And um, he he talked me out of it. I'm not really sure why he talked me out of it. I'm not sure how he did, but he somehow managed to do it. However, um, what I did was. Um, as I said before, I mentioned I'd got in touch with this ex-girlfriend, and um, I knew, she, you know, luck. I, I I don't mind admitting I was able to uh, get her to help me because I I knew that she liked me, and uh, she um, she still liked me. I mean, we both liked each other. It's just I wasn't willing to get into a long-term relationship, but um, I got back in touch with her. Uh, she was helping me with some stuff and um, she was helping me with um, the tr like the court case I was going through, the translation of documents and stuff like that. And she came with me to the court as well. Fantastic girl, really lovely girl. Uh, not, you know, not all women are bad, although I think if you keep them at a certain distance and keep them, treat them mean and keep them keen, then um, you uh, you get their attention and you get their help more. But anyway, this girl, I got, I spoke to her and I told her what had happened and I got her to go with me to the police station um, the next day or the day after, very soon afterwards. And I decided to register the assault at the police station and the police asked me what I wanted to do and I said, I don't, they asked me if I wanted to charge her with assault and I said, at this point, I don't want to do it. I want it registered as having taken place uh, in case anything more happens. And um, uh, I think one of the reasons what, what worried me was that um, the white knight thug, the New Zealand guy, um, may, and the, I'm not even sure about the Australian guy, what he would say about it. They, first of all, they're foreign witnesses. And I don't know whether how the police would deal with that. And they were they didn't seem to be um, keen to get involved and especially help me against her. And um, so I thought, well, there are independent witnesses in the noodle shop, but um, are they going to help me against a Japanese woman? Mm, not sure about that. So I decided I've got enough going on at the moment with the with my wife and I was still married and I didn't really need this kind of hassle because I was still married. It might backfire. Things might backfire. It might complicate my divorce, my legal wranglings to try to see my child. And my wife had successfully uh, got a restraining order on me, which which means I was perceived as of as violent and therefore it could weaken my case against a woman that hit me so I was worried about all that but I did register it in case she turned up and started while she was squatted outside the noodle shop with the two uh, with the kiwi couple um, I remember when we went out there after Robert and I went out there the the kiwi guy 
he'd had this look of anger on his face and he was really nasty to me. He said to me, he said to me, uh, just give her a fucking key, you arsehole, like that. He was really horrible to me. So I realised that he had no idea of, he didn't know what was going on, but he knew in his mind that I was guilty and she was innocent and I deserved whatever punishment came my way. And um, I will say that a few weeks later, I saw Robert and um, Stuart, his name was, I saw Robert and Stuart standing outside a convenience store as I was walking past it. And um, I said hello to them. They weren't, they, they were, they said hello, they, they, they greeted me, um, but they, uh, and they were obviously not in, in, in the mood to, to be particularly friendly which, nor was I, by the way, I was just passing, but I felt I shouldn't, I shouldn't ignore, I'm not going to ignore people. They didn't ignore me, they, we said hello to each other, the three of us. And, um, Rot and Stuart, the Kiwi guy, said to me something like, um, he says something like, uh, I still think you're an arsehole. And, uh, something like that. Um, he, he, st he just, he still insulted me and, um, just totally out of order. Even though I said I'd spoken to Robert after the, the event took place and I said to him, you need to talk to Stuart and explain this to him. And he said, yeah, I will do. And he did say to me he'd spoken to Stuart to explain things. But I think he'd, uh, Stuart had calmed down when I met him. He wasn't, hadn't been drinking and he wasn't, he was just chilling out with Robert and he, he didn't want to take things further. But I will say one day Stuart turned up at my office and I don't know what he wanted but a few weeks later, he turned up at my office out the blue, don't know what he wanted, and um, I was with this girl, uh, this which I was sort of having a, a back, back with it, this ex-girlfriend when we were sort of ha back on our relationship sort of going again. And we'd been doing, she'd been helping me with some business stuff. And Stuart just turned up at my office, and I don't know what he wanted, and he sat down and he started saying to this girl, what are you hanging around with him for? What do you want? Why are you here? So what was that all about? I don't know. She didn't answer. She wasn't going to talk to him. She st she, well, I'm glad she was there as a witness. And um, he didn't stay very long. And then when he realised he wasn't wanted, he, he went. Uh, to this day, I don't know what he wanted, but I've got the feeling... Uh, whatever it was he did want was uh, something um, something nasty, basically. I think he was, he was, who knows? I don't know. Like, why was he there? And um, I'll never know. Uh, but very dodgy indeed. Uh, anyway, this has been part two. There's going to be a part three because this story isn't finished. Um, there's more to tell. And... Um, I'm going to have to end it because I don't really like doing these podcasts for more than 30 minutes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wind it up. This has been the X and Y podcast. This has been part two of Rebound Mistake. And uh, there will be a part three. Just remember the social media platforms of the uh, Men's Broadcasting Service official Facebook page. Parlour at Just In Case You 812. MeWe, MGTOW, that's the MGTOW group on MeWe, and Tumblr, 
X and Y on Tumblr, same spelling as his podcast. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll be back with part three at some point soon, maybe next week. Take care.